Today's story almost reads like a whodunit novel, with characters including environmentalists, oil industry, farmers, politicians, and unbeknownst to us, us, the uninformed public, with each party pushing their agendas and in the end, the victims, well, you probably guessed it, us, the public. For the most part, we're not even aware of what's going on. Ethanol. Ethanol affects every rider of every motorcycle, every vehicle for that matter, every gas-powered vehicle. The marine industry hates it, farmers love it, and if you think you can ignore it, well, you're just fooling yourself. Today, we're going to try and peel back the layers of the ethanol myth and mystery, expose the argument, and look at the facts in an attempt to demystify ethanol, what it does to our motorcycles, how we need to store it, and what it means to all of us, riders and overlanders, because whether you're at home or traveling, ethanol can have catastrophic effects. And in the end, we hope you're going to understand what to do, what not to do, and just what lurks under those pumps. Ethanol, sabotage at the pump. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Simon Phil. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Pat Jace. Trevor Schwartz. Nick Sanders. Nathan Millwall. Simon Payton. Lamey Coach Stroud. Sterling Noreen. Grant Johnson. Helga Pedersen. Ben King. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting Adventure Riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. You can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free at www.maxbmw.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any bag into a motorcycle luggage using a unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, and that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com. Greenchiliadv.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. And Best Rest is also the North American distributor for Google Tech filters. Visit them online at www.cyclepump.com. That's cyclepump.com. <laughs> Okay, so ethanol as a fuel for engines isn't new. Back in 1826, an American inventor named Samuel Morey used ethanol in a mixture to experiment with internal combustion. Others followed, and in 1896, Henry Ford's first car, called the Quadricycle, ran on pure ethanol. And when Ford made the Model T in 1908, it ran on either gasoline or ethanol or a combination of both. So it's been around for a long time. We're talking almost 200 years here. But for internal combustion engines, gasoline was what took over as the fuel of choice. That didn't eliminate ethanol completely. It was used as an octane booster in the 20s and 30s, but eventually lead became the standard octane booster. That is, until the early 70s, when there was a fuel crisis, and around that time, they also identified that lead, well, wasn't that good for our health. It was killing us. So they decided to take that out, and they found another replacement. And because of that early 70s fuel crisis, governments pushed 
pushed for alternative fuels. There was plenty of corn in the U.S., and production of ethanol was easy, so corn ethanol was encouraged. And in the late 90s, one of the octane boosters that they've been using to replace lead was banned in most states because it was apparently affecting the water sources. So, in other words, poisoning us. So ethanol was brought in to replace it. Ethanol and gasoline saw a really big rise in 2007 when a mandate was signed in the United States that required the use of 15 billion gallons of renewable fuel, namely ethanol, by 2015. Now, so as early as 2007 and 2008, E10 was showing up in some states and engine problems were reported almost immediately and lawsuits quickly followed that. The European Union had its first biofuel policy in 2003, and levels of ethanol has risen to E5 over the years. Canada followed suit in 2010. It approved E10. Australia's fuels are E10. Brazil comes in at a whopping E27. Now, in 2008, the financial crisis in the United States raised concerns that the fuel industry wouldn't be able to meet their legislated targets set by Congress the previous year. Motorists were all of a sudden driving less, less money, and naturally less fuel was being used. So in 2009, the Energy Policy Act approved an increase from E10 to E15 to be used during the winter months when smog levels were lower and there was less use of small engines. However, that appears that that's going to be changed in the U.S. It looks like E15 is going to be sold year-round very soon. Now, the regular use of E10 levels in gasoline has created a lot of problems for vehicles produced before the early 2000s. Newer cars and motorcycles have been designed to deal with E10 on some levels, but even with that evolution in technology, ethanol carries with it some fundamental problems, namely water. My name is Michael Sayer. I am the government affairs manager for on-highway issues for the American Motorcyclists Association. Michael, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. So let's start off with what is the AMA? Well, the AMA has been around since 1924. It's the largest motorcycling organization in the world, the largest motorsports sanctioning body in the world. Um, got about... Um, 210, 215,000 members across the country, everything from racing to recreational riding to advocacy, which is my primary role for the organization. And as far as ethanol goes, what is the AMA's stance on ethanol? Well, to be very clear, the AMA does not oppose ethanol and gasoline. What we oppose is too much ethanol and gasoline and a lack of options for motorcyclists. It's really important that motorcyclists are able to get safe and the correct fuel for their motorcycles. And that varies motorcycle to motorcycle. More older machines require no ethanol. And have and whereas most motorcyclists manufactured today, almost all of them, all of them today, would be safe to use 10% ethanol in, in their fuel. Our, what we worry about is as E15, 15% ethanol in gasoline uh, continues to grow and expand in the market, um, that it will further push out the availability of 0% ethanol and potentially even squeeze out the 10% ethanol that motorcycles are able to use now. So you, you just mentioned there about E10. Do you think most motorcycles nowadays will run on E10? Uh, they pretty much have to. Um, 
almost all fuel sold in the United States is 10% ethanol. Um, in fact, it's usually pretty difficult to find uh, zero ethanol gasoline. You usually have to go to some place like a marina or some gas stations will carry it. kind of depends on what part of the country you're in. Um, pretty much any new vehicle is supposed to be able to run on 10% ethanol. Um, now, that's a little different when it comes to things like lawnmowers and chainsaws where you can find 0% ethanol fuel in hardware stores and canisters, but those sell for about $8 a pop and they're, it'd be pretty expensive to try and run your motorcycle on those. Mm-hmm. So what's the problem with ethanol for any motorcycle or small engine for that matter? Well, there's a variety of issues. Um, everything from, you know, a lot of these small engines, ours included, tend to be stored for long periods of time, whether it's for the winter or if it's, you know, a chainsaw, just periods when you don't need to use it, or a boat when it's out of the water. Um, as the gas sits in the fuel tank in the fuel system, um, that being used, it tends to separate the, the ethanol from the gasoline, and the ethanol also pulls in water from the atmosphere. And as we all know, water in your engine system and your fueling system is a very bad thing as far as causing corrosion and all sorts of other issues. Um, anybody who's bought a used motorcycle with a carburetor, the first thing most people have to do is go ahead and clean a carburetor. And a lot of that has to do with ethanol sitting in those carburetors for a period of time, whether it's a few weeks or a few years. It just depends on how much and how much buildup there is in that carburetor. What other sorts of problems? We've seen all sorts of things being attributed to ethanol. It's one of those things where it's hard to attribute very specific things to. And as, as we represent motorcyclists and not manufacturers or engineers, it's hard for us to verify people's claims. I've seen, you know, Rivzilla's Common Tread has uh, a good article from Lemmy, their kind of resident mechanic, who the title of the article is uh, starts with a, a bad word, which I will refrain from using here, but eth- ethanol. Um, and it has a lot of examples of what he has found over his years working on motorcycles um, that he believes had issues because of ethanol. Everything from a fuel liner turning into looks like a big piece of chewed bubble gum to fuel hoses having issues. Um, the ethanol, when it burns, burns at a different temperature than gasoline, and that can cause issues in different parts of the motor as well. Um, but there's just a variety of things that require a bit more attention than non-ethanol gasoline would require from a motorcyclist. So that brings me right back to why do we have ethanol? <laughs> I mean, why is it here if it causes so much problem? That is a good question, and that is a, there'll be a, a long answer to that. There, there's First of all, there are some good reasons potentially to have it in gasoline. Um, first of all, it does boost octane, and it's, it's not nearly as toxic as some of the other octane boosters that have been used in the past. So there are some potential benefits. So it's not as though it's universally evil it's but it's just causes problems for a large number of users of gasoline um the big reason why it's here and why we keep seeing pushes for higher percentages of ethanol and gasoline is from a couple laws that passed that uh, created the renewable fuel standard it originally passed in 2005 and then um, with a, a new version in 2007 that essentially said 
in order to reduce our dependency on foreign oil and also potentially to help the environment by having renewable fuel sources, we are going to blend X amount of gallons of ethanol into the nation's fuel supply each year. And they also had some ideas about instead of using just corn ethanol, advanced cellulosic things like using switchgrass and some of the more, you know, more advanced ideas and how they could create ethanol from non-food food agricultural products or waste products. Um, and as it turned out, when Congress said, they said this many billion gallons in 2006, 2007, 2008, they kept going up. You know, anytime the government sets a, a level that they expect, you know, we're going to people are going to continue to drive, continue to use more and more gasoline. Well, what, what ended up happening was more and more cars became more fuel efficient. We had this you know, terrible economic recession. People drove less. So we actually used you know, comparatively less gasoline than we did back in the day. Or at least it, the, the increase in usage was not nearly as high as they had expected. And so what they've had to do is find new ways to fit more ethanol into the nation's gas supply while the nation doesn't continue to use more and more gasoline. So one of the ways they figured out to do that was instead of E10, because almost all gasoline is E10, that was one of the first ways they got a lot of ethanol into the gasoline. Well, let's make that E15. Let's move it up to 15%. And they had went through this certification process to be approved to use to sell that. And in that certification process is when the EPA decided mm, it's not safe for cars older than 2001, motorcycles, boats, lawnmowers, chainsaw, all these, all these things we've talked about already to use E15 gasoline. So they're not allowed to use it because it would cause damage to those systems, whether, you know, damage to the actual, the vehicle itself and potentially cause them to emit more um, emissions at the end of the day, which kind of defeats the purpose of a greener fuel. And politically, it's, it's a very interesting topic because you, you find it's not very partisan when it comes to parties. It's very geographic. You know, there's Democrats and Republicans who have very strong feelings on both sides of this issue. It really comes down to if somebody either grows corn or refines ethanol in your district, you're very supportive. Or if you're in an oil producing state or you have a lot of marine recreation or other types of folks who are negatively impacted by ethanol in your district, Republican or Democrat, that's kind of how it breaks down. And as far as the interest groups, big agriculture and big oil are the two big dogs in the fight. And you have a lot of um, smaller groups on both sides of this issue, like motorcyclists, boaters um, on our side. And we, we, we partner with groups everywhere from the National Wildlife Foundation to there's even fast food chains that oppose this policy because using corn for fuel means it's corn they can't use to feed cows to turn into hamburgers. Um, so it's a really kind of interesting mix of political groups, advocacy organizations, and all, all the like. It's been a really interesting education for me getting involved in this issue at the AMA, just the kind of strange bedfellows this makes and interesting coalitions this issue has created. So to highlight here, what you're saying is the fuel usage trajectory was in increasing at a certain rate. And because of the financial crisis, the, people stopped driving as much and it didn't continue at that rate. So only because of that, and, and, and of course, I should add there that the corn production was still going on full tilt. And because they didn't slow to, I guess, to adapt to the slowing economy, they looked for more ways to mix more in. I mean, I mean, it, it sounds almost ridiculous. Yeah, no, and that's exactly it. 
You mentioned a while back about changing octane in fuel and how ethanol does that efficiently because some of the octane boosters that we've used in the past have been toxic chemicals, and in particular when they get into the environment and make their way to our water supply. So ethanol really serves a purpose. Like there's a reason, there is at least one reason there for it. Is it the only thing that is uh, an octane booster that we can add to fuel that, that is, you know, environmentally sensitive? Um, I don't believe it's the only option. Um, as someone who is doesn't have much of a uh, chemical engineering background, I believe there are other options. I, um, how, how environmentally friendly they are is a question. You know, there's the environmental friendliness of ethanol is a relative term as well. The, the its carbon footprint is certainly not environmentally friendly, but how toxic it is in the environment is probably less so than some of the previous additives. Well, there's countries like Brazil, for instance, that has E25 and E30, so 25 and 30% ethanol. There's even uh, examples where uh, blends up to 95% have been used with uh, diesel buses that have been built specifically for it. So it seems like it's just um, a, a matter of waiting for the manufacturers of these products to sort of catch up or, or um, comply with this increased ethanol. It doesn't seem like the ethanol's going anywhere. So is that what it is? Is it just a matter of like in another 10 years, is this going to not be a problem because all motorcycles will be caught up and only people who have vintage bikes will have to worry about it? That's certainly a possibility. Um, different parts of the world, like you mentioned, either use a lot more ethanol or sometimes use none at all. So the manufacturers have to account for all those markets in one way or another. Certainly, the move away from carbureted bikes and motorcycles that have more and more uh, advanced emissions and engine controls, computers and things like that, allows them to have a little more capability to handle ethanol. But, you know, again, I, as somebody who isn't an, an engineer, I, this is just my perception of it. Um, but for us in this country where we have a lot of vintage bikes on the road, a lot of people start with a used bike as their first motorcycle. Um, it's those folks that we are particularly concerned about. When we think about starting the next generation of riders, it's great for people to be able to buy a relatively affordable new fuel-injected motorcycle that this isn't going to be a huge problem for. But considering so many people start on a used bike, I know my first bike was a 30-year-old Honda that I didn't know much about working on bikes, but I had to learn how to work on carburetors very quickly. And, you know, that's got to be a huge barrier to entry to, for a lot of young people today when it comes to riding motorcycles. And if that perception that motorcycles are just a big mechanical pain in the butt when it's just really because we have fuel that doesn't work for our bikes that we don't get the choice to avoid. Um, if we can do anything about that, we're certainly going to keep working on it. For motorcyclists nowadays, what should we be looking for when we're going to buy fuel? And it's a great question. Um, when it comes to buying fuel for, at the pump for motorcyclists, there's one really important thing to look for, and that's the E15 label. It's orange and black. It doesn't say motorcycles can't use E15 on that label, but it is true. That label is required, but it is often either put in a very awkward place behind the hoses, hard to see. Um, but that label is really important to find. Um, I think most motorcyclists are pretty aware of that as we tend to be a little more conscious about what we, the fuel we put in our vehicles. A recent development we found is a lot of fuel retailers, gas stations are starting to sell E15 under the monitor or moniker of unleaded 88. So 
that naming convention better fits in with, you know, your regular mid-grade premium, you know, that it fits in in that spectrum already. It can fit up right alongside those without sending off any warning bells that it has E for ethanol in the name. But unleaded 88 is E15. And so if you see that at a gas station and it doesn't have that E15 label, they are violating the law by not having that label up, first of all. And they're being um, dishonest by putting that unleaded 88 logo on there. And we believe, you know, we strongly believe that unleaded 88 um, label, that new new term is, is specifically because the AMA... Um, the National Marine Manufacturers Association and so many groups like us that have been fighting E15 for so long have created this negative perception of E15 because it does damage our vehicles and our motors that they've had to come up with a new way to market it. And that's something we expect to see more more of. And especially now that um, the Trump administration has approved uh, E15 sales year round, that still has to go through the rulemaking process. So it hasn't started yet, but previously E15 sales were restricted in the summer um, but if this goes through, it will be year-round, and that potentially will mean more and more gas stations will sell it, sell it year-round rather than have to take it off for the driving season. Um, so we expect to see it at more gas stations and that unleaded 88 label showing up more and more because that's been a big push by um, the ethanol industry to kind of cover their tracks when it comes to E15. And just to be clear, the E15 is something we absolutely want to avoid. Absolutely. Now, no motorcycle today is approved to use it. Um, it is, in fact, a violation of federal law to put it in your in your gas tank of your motorcycle, your boat, your lawnmower, your car older than 2001. It's a violation of the Clean Air Act to do so. So the E15 um, re- sales restriction that appears to be on the way is going to make E15 more available at the pumps throughout the summer months, which is when you're using small engines like lawnmowers and, and uh, chainsaws, and of course, riding more motorcycles. Um, so the result may be that we're, if this all goes through, that we're just going to see E15 show up a lot more and possibly this unleaded, unleaded 88. Now, is that not what well, you're saying? It's a violation. Um, how are they getting away with, with posting it on the pumps as unleaded, unleaded 88 instead of E15? Well, they can still call it unleaded 88 if that E15 label is there next to it. It's just, like I've said, they're required to put that label on the pump, but that, un, that E15 label doesn't necessarily have to be in a easy to see spot. It, like I said, it can be behind the, pose, the, the hoses for the fuel. Um, we actually posted to our Facebook and our Twitter feed something that the National Marine Manufacturers did uh, a few weeks ago where they actually they have this nice photo spread of all the different places that that label has been, all the different deceptive labels they've found. Um, and at the end of the day, these are, you know, these are small business people for the most part operating these gas stations and they don't necessarily know the rules of where they're supposed to They just get sent a sticker and they oh, I have to put this on my pump. They don't necessarily know any better. Um, there hasn't really been a any real consumer education campaign about E15. Um, in fact, there was just recently a Harris poll of a thousand registered voters, and they found out again nearly 80% of them are concerned about the expanding use of E15, and almost none of them really know what E15 is. And we find that over and over and over again. I think motorcyclists and boaters uh, tend to be better educated on it because we have to be, but your average driver isn't. So that's why we're really worried about that unleaded 88 label popping up. There is currently a bill in the House 
5855, the Consumer Protection and Fuel Transparency Act of 2018. This bill doesn't get to the heart of getting E15 out of our nation's fuel supply or reforming the renewable fuel standard. This bill is a pretty small ask. It's just asking for better labeling. Like I said before, that E15 label, that orange and black label doesn't say motorcycle. It just says boats and older cars. Um, the new this, this legislation would require a new label that has pictograms of a boat, of a motorcycle, of a snowmobile, of a lawnmower, all crossed out saying you can't put this fuel in there. It would actually require a consumer education campaign, which has yet to happen. In all these years we've had E15, there has not been a, a, a consumer education program to tell consumers what this fuel actually is and what you can and can't use it in. And I think one more aspect of it would be just a keypad confirmation. Oftentimes when you go and say yes or no, if you want a receipt or have to put in your zip code when you are buying gas, they would just have, it would have something just like that saying, if you do select E15, that, hey, you know, by the way, you know, this is E15 and you cannot put it in a boat, a motorcycle, et cetera. You would just have to say, yes, I know I'm buying E15 and just say yes. So it's just a, one extra step to let consumers know what they're buying and what they can and can't put it in. If they just, you know, there's a lot of stickers on pumps nowadays. So if the label, a better label will help, but this keypad confirmation would be an even better step. Michael, thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. I had a really good time. That was Michael Sayers from the American Motorcyclists Association. Stick around. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to be back with more. We've got more to talk about, about this ethanol thing. Stay with us. Motorbird Adventures is located in California, the brainchild of Carrie Doherty. Now, I'm going to tell you something about Motorbird that you may not know. But just wait for that. Just hang on. I'm going to get to that. First, I want to talk about where they go. If you go to the, the website, www.motobirdadventures.com, click on the trips link, you're going to see that they do California, Baja, Belize, trips by women for women. Now, I like the way that Carrie covers sort of both styles of trips. She does dual sport and she does uh, what she says is any bike friendly. And also the, the ratings that she has on there, she has easy, medium, hard. It just makes it easy to pick out what you want to do, what you feel like doing. Because sometimes you, you, know, you want to kick back and relax. Other times you want something that's a, a little more intense. Now, I told you I was going to tell you something about Motobird Adventures. Okay, here it is. As I said, Motobird Adventures does trips by women for women. But a guy can go on a trip with their woman. You see, Motobird isn't about excluding men. It's about tailoring trips to ensure the women have a great time. It's focused on the women. So for guys, this could be an amazing Christmas present for your wife, girlfriend, daughter, any sort of woman that's significant in your life. You can book her and yourself on a motorcycle trip. You can kick back and know it's all about the ladies. Yet you get to be a part of it as well. The website, www.motobirdadventures.com. And make sure anytime you're talking to Carrie, throw in there that you heard her here on Adventure Rider Radio. Wow. 
the number of new motorcycles, new adventure motorcycles on the market right now is incredible. It's an exciting time. And, and it's just amazing designs. They're getting better and better and more innovative all the time. But as with all production things, you have to make compromises, and the manufacturers do that. They make compromises. They have in their head what they picture as the average rider for however they come up with this, and they build them to suit them. And then on top of that, they've got the whole money thing. they got to keep the cost down because, wow, they got to make money. So don't blame the manufacturer for those substandard foot pegs that come on your bike because it suits a lot of riders, or at least what they picture as the average rider. But it's you that wants more. It's you that wants a, a better handling machine that suits your style of riding. And, and that's a very individual thing. That's okay. That's fine. That's why IMS Products makes the foot pegs that they do. IMS foot pegs are far too high a quality to come on a stock bike. They're cast certified 17-4 stainless steel. They use a certified heat treating process. They've got a patented mud relief tooth design, lifetime warranty, and they're made in the USA. IMS has a complete line of foot pegs that will make your bike custom to your style of riding that suits your exact style. The website, www.imsproducts.com to see their whole line. And anytime you deal with them, email, at a show, whatever, do us a favor and throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Ready. Chris Reel is the owner of DPS Technical, a company that does testing services for vehicle and component regulatory certification and environmental protection purposes. Trust me, he knows a lot about fuel and ethanol. So we're going to get into a little bit more of the technicalities of ethanol and also some tips for traveling and dealing with higher ethanol use in other countries. Yeah. My name is Chris Real. I'm the president of DPS Technical. I'm uh, from the Los Angeles area. My office is in Upland, California. And I'm a technical consultant and service provider in the specialty transportation industry, which includes extensive work with motorcycles in particular. Chris, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Glad to be here. Let's start off talking about sort of the technicalities of ethanol um, as an octane booster, being added to our fuel as an octane booster. Have we always had octane boosters in gasoline, or was there a time when we didn't need them? Well, it's kind of interesting. Um, We used to get what we call straight-run gasoline, which is in the distillation process with crude oil as you heat it or put it under vacuum. um, It starts releasing its... um, you know, it's it's various boiling point fractions, and gasoline used to be one of the components that would come off and get distilled out. And um, at first, it was a um, there was an overabundance of gasoline because they were trying to make kerosene. So, as a byproduct, you mean? So, gasoline was the byproduct. Byproduct, yeah. It's just oh. one of the uh, you know the uh, evaporative uh, mixtures that comes off when we re- start refining crude oil. So somebody had the bright idea that says, "Hey, maybe we can uh, turn this into a fuel," and it was turned into a fuel um, for industrial engines that ran plants and stuff. And it was a little bit unstable, and they thought better of that and said you know uh, maybe maybe it should be put into smaller containers and used in smaller engines and mr ford said i have this great idea and here we are so gasoline 
initially was kind of a byproduct. And of course, now it's a mainstream component that is is sought after, and it's it's a highly complex mixture of hydrocarbons. And there's a lot of science that goes into you know, manufacturing gasoline and uh, then tailoring the gasoline for specific conditions or applications. And that changes with the season too, doesn't it? In regions, it, you know, uh, when we have, you know, high temperatures, you know, of course, gasoline wishes to uh, evaporate um, pretty rapidly and it has vapor pressure, it starts expanding. And so having a, a fuel that has a different vapor pressure and possibly a higher boiling point uh, for the you know, summer applications is desirable. So the fuel can be tweaked a little bit for those conditions. And then uh, when when we get into the colder seasons and colder climates, you know, having a fuel that uh, ignites at a lower ambient temperature uh, because air temperature is going to be, you know, can be very cold. So you kind of need to uh, have a, a product that possibly has a lower boiling point or a lower ignition point uh, to aid in, in startup. Okay, so everything's sounding pretty rosy at this point. What's the problem with ethanol? Well, the, you know, it's it's kind of multifaceted. You know, ethanol in itself uh, has merit. At this point, it can be manufactured pretty reasonably, and, and so it has merit. The problem is, you know, the higher the ethanol content we get, some of our existing vehicles and engines uh, weren't designed to be run on a fuel such as ethanol, and that can be mechanically problematic. Okay, so when you like, we're we're gonna have to dig a little deeper here. So that, that's that's vague, mechanically problematic, and <laughs> yes. I know this gets really deep, and we want to keep it on the light here. But what sort of problems? I mean, let's let's just talk small engines wise. What what sort of problems can we find with ethanol? Okay, first of all, ethanol. It attracts water and it mixes with water. So it will allow the water to get into the system. So at this point, that's kind of a challenge when you start ingesting or having water that would normally not be mixed with the gasoline going through the system. And so now with, with water, we, we do have a, a corrosion element that is probably our biggest probably our biggest challenge mechanically um you know corrosion or deposit formation you know in in older vehicles that have a carburetor you know that have small small orifices um the corrosion block and the deposits block the orifice and that's you know a a, a challenge that's a that's a negative you know the other thing is when we have you know water into older vehicles with with carburetors corrosion and the aluminum are um, are big problems. Um, getting to the the elastomers, the rubber components. You know, some of those components were never intended to be run on anything other than a hydrocarbon um, that's a gasoline base. And when you start introducing other materials into the the diaphragms and some fuel hoses and uh, stuff, we we start winding up with you know some incompatibility. Ultimately, we will probably have failures, and that's you know, you know, you know, that's unfortunate. 
That's that's um, simply just a, a manufacturing process. I mean, as you're saying, the, these parts weren't made to have a solvent like uh, ethanol in there. And, in, and when, this, when the ethanol gets in, it breaks them down. But the, the reason it becomes a big problem is because we're talking about engine seals and we're talking about fuel lines and things like that that will actually break down from the ethanol. Absolutely. Except in modern vehicles. Correct. If the vehicle has been designed to be run on you know, um, alternate fuels, you know, flex fuel or high alcohol fuel, then, you know, the components are, are intended for that application. And and we really have a, you know, a, a shift in, in technologies. You, The newer vehicles have different materials and, and different components that are better suited for um, the newer fuels. So what other sort of problems can we get from ethanol? Well, um, being a motorcyclist, you know, our duty cycle, everybody has to remember our duty cycle on a, on a motorcycle is a lot different than an automobile. If you look at uh, RPM, you know, somebody takes off in their car or their truck and they're going down the highway, they get to a fixed RPM and they kind of stay there. Motorcycles, they cycle RPM quite a bit and, and the RPM is typically higher. So what, what happens, since it's an oxygenate it actually has less fuel energy in there. So our, our vehicles are rather mileage sensitive, so a reduction in, in fuel economy is probable. And since it's an oxygenate, the, the engine can run leaner, which translates usually into higher temperatures. And um, some, some vehicle manufacturers that uh, might have a freer flowing exhaust system on their vehicle, that, that kind of makes the engine run lean a little bit anyway and then when we add a leaner burning fuel that uh, we can have some drivability and rideability uh, issues okay and when we say raising the octane that's that's not a chemical thing we're, we're raising in there is that's just a measurement well it, it's you know uh pump up octane the number that you see at the gas pump is actually an average of two methods of determining its knock index one is the motor method and the other is the research method. And so the research method takes physical characteristics, you know, uh, density, flashpoint, whole bunch of perimeters into consideration. You come up with a, a higher number. And then the motor method is actually put in, a, um, in an engine, a constant RPM engine, and it's, um, the timing is adjusted uh, and the air-fuel ratio is adjusted to to give us a, a knock uh, measurement and so that yeah that number is typically a little bit lower so the the research plus the motor divided by two the average gives us our 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 octane number at the pump okay so we're looking at a little bit power loss we're looking at um, higher temperatures correct anything else that it would do um yeah, some of the the stuff that we would see in the in the real world, some of the negative is is fuel storage life. Uh, fuel ages out quicker when we have um, the ethanol blends. How long should we or can we store fuel for? The short answer is use your fuel within sixty days. The longer answer is if you've got more oxygen present or sunlight present or an unsealed container where where the, the the fuel can can get fresh oxygen to degrade uh, often we'll start seeing deposits in about half that time so you know the the, the short answer is is don't let your um, 
your fuel set for, for more than 60 days, and, and you should be pretty good. You mentioned about it uh, attracting water, storing water within it. it. Does that water build up to a large degree, or does it only trap a certain percentage in there? It'll continue to absorb water till it, it reaches a saturation point. To answer your question, yeah, it will build up. And, and, and that's, that becomes a, a challenge because when we have water, um, water is heavier than the fuel, so it winds up at the bottom of, you know, of the carburetor, bottom of the fuel tank in a concentrated form, and that's when we start building some of our rust and corrosion. So is it recommended that motorcyclists seek out a different kind of fuel, or can we burn ethanol? We can burn a certain portion of ethanol in most vehicles um, that are within 15 or 20 years old. But the higher the ethanol content right now with most of our technology that's, you know, what, what you know people own as far as a vehicle or small engine, most of our stuff has a longer life and performs a little bit better on on non-high ethanol fuels. And that's just because it's how the engines were designed or initially tuned. So would you recommend that people search out, riders search out fuel that doesn't have ethanol? Um, if possible, yes, but, but you know, realistically, um, fuel availability in, in places is, is a challenge to begin with. And if you've got a choice between high ethanol fuel and and a higher octane or a lower ethanol blended fuel and a lower octane for most application i would go with the the lowest ethanol content possible what about octane booster does does octane booster do anything does it get rid of ethanol and is there any way to get rid of ethanol not really once it's in there it's there yeah and remember that you know most octane boosters can raise the the anti-knock properties of the fuel to some degree but you know i always say that nothing's free so so it may have some other adverse effects that uh you need to be aware of and um so you know in in my opinion for most street applications um you know the octane boosters uh have minimal need because of the uh you know, the engine's appetite for octane, its requirement is, is typically matches pump gas. What about if you're traveling, you know, you're going to South America or something like that where you have lower octane fuels. Is it worth it to carry an octane booster with you and pour it in? Possibly, yes. And most of the octane boosters may have a uh, cleaning component incorporated in them, a, a, a fuel system cleaner, octane booster, stabilizer, and, you know, when we get into, you know, South America and and even rural America, you know, where I travel globally, our fuel quality and cleanliness is a, a huge issue for us. And some countries are using higher ethanol blends than E10, which is common here. And I know there's talk of, uh, well, there is E15 available and there's talk of making it more readily available to riders. That's another issue. But when you're traveling in a country that, for instance, has a lot more ethanol in the fuel, you said that there's no way to remove it. What's the recourse? If I were going to a country like that on a, you know, on, on a vehicle, I would make sure that I um, had the ability and planned to do very frequent oil changes. I would carry an extra fuel filter, and I would have my uh, 
rubber components, the fuel lines and everything else in absolutely pristine condition. <laughs> because that's good, the stuff that's going to take the, the brunt of it. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and engine deposits, you know, uh, sludge buildup and, and fuel dilution in the, in the oil. I mean, those are things that we can usually uh, counteract with, you know, basically cutting our oil drain interval in half. That's, that's a pretty effective way of, of getting rid of the deposits. And, and also that helps, um, you know, neutralize some of the, uh, the acidic formation. And so just double dip on the, uh, on your maintenance and, and your awareness of your, of the fuel quality. And um, a water separator style filter, you know, if you're going with a group and you're going to be someplace very, very remote, a water separator is probably a, you know, a, a, a really handy thing to have. And basically it's a funnel. And when you're talking about frequent or more frequent oil changes, that's because of, of blow-by, and that's why we get the deposits in the oil, because otherwise you would think it would go into the combustion chamber and then right back out again. No, it, when, yeah, and remember that, that um, you know, the, the ethanol has a, you know, has a higher boiling point than gasoline, so it stays liquid longer. And so when we start our engines, you know, everything's, you know, everything's a bit looser, and we get blow-by, and we'll blow fuel past the rings, and it gets in the oil, and and then it uh, hangs out there and, and uh, can be a problem child. You know, I I have hope for ethanol of being a um, of a fuel of, of the future. You know, for the internal combustion engine, um, I think that ethanol. Uh, I think we can contend with it uh, with new technology, but I also think that that uh, with existing technology. You know, in older vehicles, um, you know, they may pay the price. So, uh, Chris, thank you very much. For, I appreciate your help with this. Uh, my pleasure. You know, it's complicated, and and you know, and and there's a lot in in technology with 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 fuels. I mean, it's a, a it's an amazing science. I've been speaking with Chris Reel, owner of DPS Technical. You can find out more about Chris and what he does at www.dpstechnical.com. Of course, as usual, that link will be in the show notes. Well, I'm going to leave you with some final thoughts on ethanol. In doing our research, Elizabeth found some tidbits that we thought we'd pass on that we didn't tackle in this episode. Um, Like this, according to one source, the ethanol gasoline mix to make it E10 or E15 or whatever it is, it's actually done uh, by the truck driver that delivers the fuel to the station or someone at the filling terminal when they're filling the truck to go to the station. The reason for that? water, to keep exposure to water to a minimum. That's just how fast ethanol sucks up water. Now, when it comes to buying fuel, it's recommended that you buy from busy gas stations for the same reason. With the busy gas stations, you're going to have fresh fuel and it lessens your chance of water contamination. Now, also with your motorcycle, you best refill your tank often. Don't let it run low. Don't keep it low. You want to refill it often with fresh fuel. Having a full tank lessens your exposure to moisture absorption in the tank. And lastly, get yourself a good fuel filter that keeps water 
water out, preferably one that goes in the filler neck of your fuel tank. That way it separates the water before it gets into your gas tank. Now get out there and burn some corn. This episode was made possible in part by Max BMW at maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com, MotoBreeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. up this episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it because i'll tell you it took a lot <laughs> there was a lot of research went into this anyway special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin in particular i mean i won't tell you how many hours she's put into researching this topic and we understand it very well at this point Anyway, it's time to get out there and, and ride your bike. Oh, of course, and, and we thank you, the listener. Obviously, we wouldn't do this without you. Hey, if you like what we're doing, we would love to have your support. Um, we've got some new things that we're offering for patron supporters that for anything $10 and, and $25, I think it is, but anything $10 and up. Anyway, drop by our website, click on the support button, and then you'll be able to see what we're doing. We're not quite announcing it yet, but if you go there and check it out, you'll see. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. If not, of course, polish, wax, all those sorts of things. There may just go listen to some back episodes of Adventure Rider Radio. My name's Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. See you next week. This is Robert Wicks and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.